Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, March 13th. Albertans head to the polls at the end of May to elect our next premier. Do you know who you're voting for yet? And if not, are you influenced by political attack ads? Why have these types of ads become the standard and are they effective? We discuss with Dave Cornoyer, Alberta political writer and podcaster. Child sexual abuse can devastate lives, but with community support, there can be healing. We talked to Glory Meldrum, founder of Little Warriors and the Be Brave Ranch, about how they're trying to rally community support to grow the world's only treatment centre for kids who have been sexually abused, based right here in Alberta. And on this Motivational Monday, we talked to Yvonne Winkler, a Calgary author who's written a book about the power of new beginnings and transformation, sharing her journey over barbed wire fences through debilitating dependencies and eventually her own figurative and literal freedom. If you've been listening to the radio, you'll certainly have heard the latest round of UCP and NDP ads taking shots at one another. Why have political ads, attack ads, become the standard and is it even effective? Joining us to talk about it, Dave Cornwaya, Alberta political writer and podcaster. Good morning to you, Dave. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Thanks so much for having me on. Have we seen an increase of late? I mean, I, I don't remember years ago, maybe in the past handful, but not years before that we saw or heard political attack ads, but it's really become the norm now, hasn't it? You know, it, it, well, it really has. Um, I mean, negative ads aren't anything new, mm-hmm. but it, but I mean, the, the fresher, I guess the fresher the, they, they stay in your mind, the, uh, the more they stick out. So, I mean, I think people will remember from the 2019 election, the last provincial election, it was pretty... It, was, it got pretty negative in terms of the advertising, um, both from the NDP and the UCP. And I, I think we'll see, a, 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 you know, maybe not as negative coming into, into this election. I mean, is, is, you'd like to say that as a political watcher, that maybe, maybe this next election won't be as negative as the last one. But political parties do, they, they use negative advertising because it can work. And, it, and it's, uh, it, I mean, it, 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 uh, it, it, it connects it connects with people. It, it, it helps frame their uh, their opponents, and that's why that's why political parties use negative advertising. Does it work everywhere, Dave, or are we just more open to it here in Alberta? Well, I, I think I mean negative advertising, especially down in the United States, is something that that is uh, that that uh, I'm sure a lot of voters in the United States would talk would would uh, would talk about, and 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 uh, when they when they characterize their elections, it probably would be something that, that one of the first things they talk about. Um, I mean, negative negative advertising is nothing really new, and, and political parties do it for for a number of reasons. I mean, number one, it, it they want to contrast a political party wants to contrast, especially during an election campaign, their strengths with their opponents' weaknesses or their perceived weaknesses, what they think voters will think will think the other party's weaknesses will be. They want to define their opponent in the minds of the voters, and that's why you'll see you know you'll see the UCP running advertisements right, negative advertisements right now, trying to remind Albertans of of the NDP's, you know, the NDP's record in government, carbon tax, raising taxes, go, going back to stuff the NDP did uh, that from 2015 to 2019, the, the NDP are going to be doing very, something very similar, especially with Daniel Smith talk, you know, running ads, and we've, we've seen a bit of this so far, uh, you know, basically running ads straight out of Daniel Smith's mouth with some of the more controversial things she said, the most outrageous things she said uh, during her time on, on radio and during her time as a, as a lobbyist. And, and there's no shortage of those, as we've seen over the past few months. But what you'll see is neither party will really be running on their record. The NDP aren't really running on their record from 2015 to 2019. And the UCP aren't really running on their record from 2019 until about four months ago, because 
the UCP under Daniel Smith don't really want to remind Albertans about Jason Kenney. <laughs> so the, you're, you're going you're to see, um, you know, the, the, the two parties talking about, just talking about the, the negatives, trying to define their opponent. They're, they're also trying to encourage, I mean, they're, they're trying to encourage voters, certain voters to change their minds. They're also trying to convince their opponents' voters to stay home. And they, they call that depress the vote. So if you're a UCP supporter and you're not feeling great about your party and you're seeing all this negative advertising from, from the other parties about your party, you might not feel like you want to volunteer. Or you might not want to feel like you want to you know, take a lawn sign or maybe even go out and vote. So there's, there's, this is nothing new. This is something that the political parties do all the time. They want to get their vote out and they want to you know, do everything they can to convince the supporters of the other parties either to change their minds or if not to change their minds, then maybe not be as enthusiastic about their political party. David, interesting because I got a, a text from Brad early this morning, you know, just asking about the, the one um, attack ad against the NDP, about 97 tax increases, which leads me to, to ask you this one. Is there any fact checking or can, uh, you know, a party pretty much run an ad saying whatever they want? Oh, oh, they. I mean, there'll be a lot of. I think uh, Graham Thompson, uh, political columnist, wrote a column about negative advertising a couple weeks ago, where he called it silly putty. There's a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of bending the truth and and insinuation in, the, in these types of ads. So there, there's not really the fact checking going on, and there's no real, uh, there's no real responsibility for the parties to really be 100% factual. I mean, there's a, there'll, there'll be a, a, you know, a nugget of truth in every single ad. Um, likely, uh, unless it goes totally off the rails, um, but but they're going to be playing to things that people kind of already believe about these political parties, and and maybe probably stretching the truth to bring it bring it a little more negative. Now, I'd like to say that the parties are running negative ads, but and they will run negative ads, and and we won't all see the same negative ads, and that's a, that's one important thing that especially with digital advertising. I mean, unless you're hearing it on the radio or seeing it on television. But a lot of the, both both the main two political parties, the UCP and the NDP, are going to be focusing a lot on digital ads, on social media ads, on the ads you see on websites, and that's all determined by target, by micro targeting, by algorithms. So, Sue, so you might see different ads than I do during during this election mm. campaign. And the political parties are trying to target and speak to a certain vote, certain voter who they believe they either want to, you know, who they believe they can connect with and either get out get out to vote or convince to. Uh, you know, maybe not be as enthusiastic for the, for their political party come come election day. So, if I had a more small L liberal slant to the posts that I like or follow, for example, on Facebook, I might get more UCP ads coming my way. You might, or you might get more NDP ads. It depends on what the what the mm. what the target and the purpose of the ads are. But 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 that's that's exactly the point. Is you might not see the same advertisements as your neighbor because the political parties are able to speak to a, tar- more, a more and more targeted audience with the way digital advertising works. You know, when we talked about fact-checking, et cetera, so are, are there ethical concerns, do you think, about political attack ads? Because if you can say pretty much whatever you want, are we going down a slippery slope here? Well, I mean, politi- political, political parties could always say, you know, whatever, whatever they want within reason. I mean, if, if a political party or a candidate is going to libel or slander a candidate, there's obviously... Um, the ability of, of the person who's being libeled or slandered to, you know, to take them to court. We've seen that in the past where political parties have gone a little too far or candidates have gone a little too far with their attack ads or their, their campaign brochures kind of trying to frame and attack their opponents. But, yeah, sometimes this, sometimes this stuff goes to court and is dealt with, dealt with legally afterwards. That's not usually the case, but it, but it, do, it does happen. Are there any regulations in Canada for what can and cannot be said or how things are enforced at all? 
You know, I mean, there, there is there is enforcement mechanisms from the elections authorities. So in Alberta, I mean, you can't, you have to be able to, um, if you, you're a political party or a candidate running an advertisement, it had, it has to be, uh, you know, you have to have have, have a, a little stand, a little note saying it's authorized by an official agent, and have that the contact information for the official agent. There are certain requirements from Elections Alberta in terms of things that need to go along with advertising. But really, when it comes to the content ad, of, of the advertising, um, you know, political parties are able to to basically say basically say what they want within within. I mean, we do have free we do have free speech in this country, mm-hmm. uh, and, you... and that's like, there, there is negative advertising. But the political parties, I mean, they're also going to be running positive ads as well. The negative ones tend to stick out because yeah. it's something that we remember, and and that's the whole purpose of it. But the parties will be running positive ads as well as negative ads in this election campaign. Fascinating. Do your homework, do your due diligence, know who you're voting for, for sure. Thanks so much, Dave. Great perspective this morning. Thanks, too. Appreciate it. Dave Cornwai, Alberta political writer and podcaster. The Little Warriors organization is rallying community support for two groundbreaking initiatives. To tell us all about what they've got going on, Glory Meldrum joins us, founder of Little Warriors and the Be Brave Ranch. Good morning to you, Glory. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. I'm so excited. Well, can you break it down first? For those who've not heard of Little Warriors, tell us what this program's all about. Yeah, so uh, I founded Little Warriors 15 years ago. Um, I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse. I was um, uh, abused by my grandfather from 8 to 10. And so 15 years ago, uh, I wanted to do something for kids that have been sexually abused. And so I started Little Warriors. And we started off with a prevent prevent it program, so teaching adults how to prevent child sexual abuse. And uh, nine years ago, we built the first treatment center in the world for kids that have been sexually abused. And uh, yeah, and today it's a world-class facility, and we treat kids from uh, 8 to 17, and they come from across Canada. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing, amazing journey. First of all, how is this the one and only treatment center for kids who've been sexually abused in the world? That's astounding to me. But tell us a little bit about what it's like inside the doors of that center. Well, inside the the doors of the center has always been difficult. You can imagine that uh, these kids are highly traumatized. And so when they're leaving their families, like the families can stay at our facility and it's a it's a one year kind of program, and the kids come back and forth from around the country. But I'll be honest with you, Sue, is that it was uh, always really tough inside those inside the walls at the Be Brave Ranch. But now it's uh, beyond anything we've ever we've ever seen. So with COVID, um, increases of reporting have gone up fourteen hundred percent, and ninety percent of kids don't report until they're over eighteen. So even the reporting numbers of a 1,400% increase in reporting is a really, it's probably uh, 10 times worse than that, right? And so we're seeing, we don't have any more beds. That's why we're uh, doing the expansion of the Be Brave Ranch to double the size of beds because we don't have any left. The demand is crazy and the severity of the cases because kids were locked up often with their offenders or their offenders had more access because they weren't in school um, is like nothing we've ever seen. So cults, you know, um, uh, sex extortion, human trafficking, child pornography, um, and child sexual abuse as we know it, um, which is usually by someone that's, you know, knows the kid. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's rampant. And I think you made a good point when you said that 
it's hard to believe it's the only one, but we don't want to talk about things that humans do to other humans. Mm. So those are the toughest things to raise money for because we don't even want to acknowledge that they exist. Like I've been in talking, you know, 15 years in boardrooms and, and sometimes it's how fast they can get me out of the door, right? You know, if I'm in there asking them to help um, because they don't want to talk about it. But unless we do, like we're the adults and we've got to stand up and do something for these kids because if mm-hmm. we don't, they can't do it for themselves. We're right? supposed to be their protectors. We are supposed to be their protectors. And and you know what? Me and my staff and my board, we go to bed every night knowing we have this big wait list and not enough beds and these kids are in crisis on our wait list. So, you know, do I know it's kind of brave and, and, and crazy that, you know, in a very soft market that we're raising 20 million, uh, 5 million to double the size of the Be Brave Ranch. So we'd be able to take double the kids every month. Um, so that means doubling the staff, buildings, like all of that. Um, and then the other big thing that's really come to a head too is adult survivors mm. that, like me that never got the proper treatment you know, all we got was one hour therapy and there really isn't anything that measures its efficacy, right? And so we're going to build our lighthouse. I'm a maritimer, so I, I put a little mm. maritime in it. And it's, it'll be the first treatment center again in the world for adults that have been sexually abused. And so and one thing I want to mention, too, is that um, every single thing we do at the ranch, at Little Warriors and the Be Brave Ranch, we measure with the U of A. So we know that we can heal these kids, that we reduce um, PTSD by 25 to 50% in each kid. Uh, We reduce cutting, anxiety, depression, suicide, all of these things. Like we have the evidence and we also know for every million dollars invested with us, we save society and the government 11 million bucks. This is what a big problem untreated child sexual abuse has on society because these kids can grow up to end up in prostitution, drugs, alcohol, alcohol, suicide, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's it's a major, major, major problem and it's it's not getting any better. It's it's actually getting worse. Well, we're yeah. grateful that you and your team are standing up to protect our babies. We'll send people to littlewarriors.ca. There's a Donate Now button. You can help out, fund the the Be Brave Ranch, fund the building of our lighthouse. Do your part to help out. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, Glory. Thank you. Glory Meldrum, founder of Little Warriors and the Be Brave Ranch. The Calgary author has written a new book about the power of new beginnings and transformation, sharing her journey over barbed wire fences through debilitating dependencies and eventually the possibility of freedom. Joining us now is Yvonne Winkler, author of the new memoir, Freedom Seeker, Reclaiming Feminine Wisdom. Good morning, Yvonne. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I love it that you're here live in studio. It's much more fun to be able to see the person face-to-face when we talk about motivation particularly. Um, Tell us a little bit about your story your background Mm. well um i am a classic overachieving very dedicated um corporate woman uh who had to confront her upbringing in communist germany uh to find her freedom from that patriarchal traps and the debilitating dependencies that uh came as a result of from uh trying to cope with that overwork that i was continuously doing to measure up in the world 
So overwork, because of your, your history, of, of your story, can you kind of give us a little bit of a, you know, just a little personal touch of, of what bet. it was like to be you and your family? <laughs> you bet. Um, well, I was born and raised in communist Germany, and uh, freedom and freedom of choice were not uh, in our language. And so growing up there uh, for my all of my uh, primary years, uh, really ingrained this hardworking ethic and dedication and uh, discipline were actually uh, traits that were um, encouraged mm -hmm. and, and wanted. So you had to be the best uh, at everything. And that translated very much into my life here in corporate Canada, uh, where I just always looked to achieve and be the best person because I thought that's where my worth and value were. And if we look back, I mean, leaving Germany at age 11 and your family left everything behind, right? Yes. So that must have been scarring for you, even though you may not have really sort of been aware of exactly the the, the, the effect of it on you at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, and I was, I think, very aware of it. Um, <clears throat> when we first came to West Germany, because that was our first stop before we came to Canada, um, there was a whole week where I couldn't speak. The overwhelm of just the the, the economics of, of capitalism had me speechless, quite literally. You know, having access to as much chocolate or or bananas or oranges as I could possibly imagine um, left me in shock. Wow. I mean, that's so basic and yet so vital, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't even think about it because it's just second nature to us in yeah. this part of the world. Yeah. Uh, so talk about then your family came to Canada ultimately. And, you know, when you said you, you, you just thought you had to be the best and you had to work the hardest mm -hmm. and, and almost overwork yourself, were your parents the same way when they brought you here? <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, my parents, uh, when we moved to Canada, they had a, a small business, uh, a lodge and restaurant. And my dad had a development, development company where they um, worked extremely hard. Um, I, I always joked and said, like, they worked themselves to the bone, um, quite literally. So it was reinforced, that belief that we have to work really, really hard. And also that belief that um, if it's not difficult, if it's not hard, it's not worth it. Like, that that story, that was is very much ingrained in my system, and that's what I, I'm trying to get away from. Right. Yeah. Now, some would say that maybe we need a little bit of that back in our world, that maybe people don't work as hard as they could or mm -hmm. should. But, mm -hmm. you know, in your circumstance, obviously, it was too much pressure for you, yes? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And yes, to uh, going for what it is you want uh, requires dedication uh, and a certain amount of discipline. But measuring your self-worth against that is where I think... I failed because that was what was driving me into dependencies, you know, because I was working so much that the only way I could turn off at the end of the day was with a minimum of three glasses of wine to you know, wind my, my mind down, my racing, my, my racing thoughts. And that turned into a whole other uh, conflict for me. It wasn't serving me at all. Um, so I think for sure there is um, there's a nice there's, there's ha there has to be harmony between how hard we work and what we if and what joy we're getting out of that. And I mean, there are some people that really derive joy out of working mm -hmm. lots, mm -hmm. and that's that's okay. I think it's when you're you're hurting in one way or another that you need to take a look at what what needs to change. 
Do you think it's because of your background, being German, or do you think it's because you are a woman, or is it a combination of those and many other factors that drove you to work so very hard? Yes, both, absolutely. Yeah. I think as women, uh, we we were raised uh, and we had to work double, if not you know, if not more, uh, to uh, to have the same things. And I mean, we're still not at equity in terms mm -hmm. of pay and and what and and uh, even how far ahead we get in corporate. Um, that said, uh, yes, being German, there's there's certainly culturally a lot built into my DNA as well. <laughs> so, I mean, that that's your that's your story of of then and now. What have you learned, and and what's your motivation as you wake up every day moving forward? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the biggest thing I've learned is um, I needed to find this, rediscover who I am and who I was before I uh, became who I thought the world wanted me to be, and when when I wake up now, I still face uh, struggles. You know, there's still life still happens. Um, what has changed is my ability to navigate that. I, I can I, I have a much greater awareness because I've dedicated so much time to um, exploring who I am and what activates me and what brings me joy. And that that is that is really what motivates me now or inspires me now is uh, having a, a a joy list of things from as little as like a music list to as to as much as like where do I love going what do I still want to see and when I'm down I can go to that joy list and I can take a look and see what what do I need what can I do right now to fill my cup and really take care of myself instead of looking outside of myself for, for someone else or something else to fill that. I love that. A joy list. Can mm -hmm. you give us a, another couple of examples maybe that are on there? A, a joy list that, that our listeners could maybe create? Yeah, you bet. I have it categorized in all <laughs> kinds of different things. <laughs> Color-coded, uh, everything? You bet, yeah. Um, so I have everything from uh, small things like self-care, uh, things that I enjoy doing, um, you know, from baths to going to the spa, getting massages, uh, to uh, having playlists various playlists, mood lists, I call them, um, to having uh, movies. I'm very much inspired by um, musical movies. Uh, so music seems to be a thread throughout mm -hmm. my my in, uh, inspiration. And uh, whether that's uh, um, biographies or, or documentaries or movies about, you know, musicians, that can very easily shift my, my mood. And then there's also activities. Uh, I mean, our stre the stress in our body needs to move. And so I have uh, a, a list of all kinds of different activities depending on how, where my mood is at. Right. In order to change your <laughs> in mood In order to change it, yeah. yeah. So from walks to, you know, rigorous hikes. Good for you. Okay, now tell us, before we let you go, tell us a little bit about the book, Freedom Seeker, Reclaiming Feminine Wisdom. What should people expect from the book? Mm, it's a journey uh, throughout my adult life. Uh, with some glimpses back into my childhood and uh, communist Germany uh, and a lot of uh, dialogue. It's a narrative memoir, mm -hmm. so this is written in a story format and uh, I, I took people on a, on a journey with me. I love it. Well, we'll send people to your website. Uh, can they get the book through your website? You bet. Perfect. YvonneWinkler.com is the website. The new memoir is called Freedom Seeker, Reclaiming Feminine Wisdom. Thank you for your motivation today on this Motivational Monday. Thanks for having me, Sue. Appreciate it.
911, what's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship! Ah, there was an explosion! Oh my god, the ship is sinking! I can't get out! There's water everywhere! We're going down! I've got a lock on your location, stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.